This episode is sponsored by Bubbles. If you haven't used Bubbles yet, you're missing out. Bubbles allows you to have fewer meetings and get more work done. You can collaborate using screen, video, and audio messages so you can work on your own time. There's no account or installation needed. The link is in the show notes and you should get started using it today. Welcome to the Contrarian Marketing Podcast, where we give you ideas you might not be thinking about. Today, we're talking about meetings, the culture for and against meetings, and how to have better meetings. So Kevin, we seem to be still in this season where companies are laying off employees. However, lots of people are still getting hired. What's something that you look for when you're hiring a new employee? What's the, what's the one thing that you, they have to have, or are you big question you like to ask in making your decision on who to hire. I thought about this a lot because I did make some bad hires in my career and I did make some great hires in my career. I think the couple of common denominators that I learned over the years. So a lot of leadership and management experience. You basically want three green flags for a candidate to move forward. A green flag can come from a strong referral of a person who you trust and know who basically endorses the candidate. It can also come from them having extensive experience in at a company or with a project and being able to talk about that elaboratively, right? So if you if you really probe and go deep, they're able to talk about the project. They can attest that they were the leading drivers behind the project. So results, experience, all that kind of stuff. Having done the job before that you're hiring for. And that is in my mind one of the most important criteria. You know, you, you don't want to hire somebody for the same job that they have done before, but at least for the core area or skill you're hiring for, they should have done it before and they should have done it successfully. Uh, what are yours, Eli? You're very specific. The biggest thing that I look for is I just look for people that are creative and curious. I don't want to hire employees for whatever role I'm hiring them for that they need to be given very strict directions. This You're my assistant. This is the job you have to do. And that is something I never want to hire for. Like if I, you know, when I was at SurveyMonkey and I hired people on my team for SEO, I didn't want to hire them and say, hey, this is the job I think I should be doing, but I'm going to tell you exactly what you should do. So look for people that are creative and have the ability to think creatively through a problem. Might not be the right answer, but it also means that they can they can arrive at the right answer. So I don't have very, obviously, like whatever I'm hiring for, I want to make sure they really know what they're doing. If I'm hiring for social media, this can't be their first rodeo, but I want people that know how to think creatively and you know think out of the box. They can do their own things without being needing, without really needing specific direction. Because to me, that's that means I'm doing the job. I love whenever I think about all the interviews I've had that were successful and I got job offers from them. Those were the questions that I thought were the most interesting, where they asked me open-ended questions like, "Hey, what what do you think you would do in this scenario?" And I would give an answer, and like it helped me to think about what I would do in that scenario if I were actually at that job. And some of the, the interviews that I've had where I didn't get the job, some of those, those are my favorite parts of the interview where, you know, it's just interesting. It was interesting to learn about the company. My favorite job interview where I did not get a job offer, I interviewed at Amazon for uh, A9, which is their technology part of the platform, part of Amazon's platform based in Palo Alto. Fascinating interview. Like all the questions were so fascinating and there were no right answers. The one thing that, you know, has always stuck with me for the last, this is like six years ago. Whenever I think about Amazon is during my interview, the case that I was given was how do you promote this product if Amazon does not believe in advertising? Because Jeff Bezos hates advertising. And then I think there was a Super Bowl ad 
for Amazon. And I always think about that. Like Jeff Bezos changed his mind. He started believing in advertising. They spend billions of dollars in advertising. But that was like, cool. Like how do you promote something without the ability to use money to promote it? And the correct answer we arrived at and the correct answer that Amazon used at the time is discounting. So you get attention by discounting. So instead of giving away money to a platform like Fox to advertise for Amazon shopping, you just discount and lose money on Amazon shopping. So everyone wants to shop more. Do you think every interview process should have an assignment, like a homework or a test case where candidates have to spend some time on creating a presentation or something? Or do you think it's unfair and a waste of time? Great question. I think they're a total waste of time, but it depends on whether what you're looking for. So if you're looking for someone that has strong communication skills and you want to see how they think through a problem, I think it's kind of important that they be able to present something written. One thing we did at SurveyMonkey is when we hired writers and we told them to write something, we paid them the writer's rate of like, hey, we want an article from you. We're going to buy it from you. And I think it's terrible when like I've done these job interviews, SEO job interviews are like, do an SEO audit for us. I'm like, no, because that's free work. You know, do, so what I did like when I hired people at SurveyMonkey and I needed to understand like their creative abilities and for auditing, I would say, do an SEO audit for me on that other company. I'm going to just go pick a random company and do an SEO audit. I, I don't benefit from it at all. And I actually, and I would give very strict instructions and say, I don't care how the deck looks. Like, do not spend time making a very pretty audit. I just want to see how you think through and gather some data. Because like, again, when you've given loose instructions, I was interviewing for, and they said, this should take you no longer than 10 hours. So I did it. I didn't do it. I'm like, I don't have 10 hours to do free work for you. But I've done a lot of assignments. I interviewed at Facebook and they made me build a deck and I presented it and this was like obviously pre-COVID and everyone when the, there's all this whole meeting is only one person in the room and everyone else participating in this interview panel was on, I don't even know if they use Zoom, whatever platform they used, their cameras were off. You know how much that sucks? Like you're presenting something and you have no idea if it's being well received. And like I spe they said, that was one of those assignments. I think they told me it should take you no longer than eight hours. And I, was, I did it because it was Facebook. Facebook, you owe me for that time. <laughs> I got no feedback. It took me way more than eight hours. No one looked at me. Like that one person in the room was just taking notes and everyone else had cameras off. But yeah, let's let's get in the media episode here. Today we're we're talking about meetings. So meetings is something that everyone loves to hate. It's like traffic. You'll never find anyone. It's like, hey, I had a really good day today. I only spent an hour and a half in traffic or taxes. So meetings is not something you typically find people are like, oh, I had a, a lovely day. They come home to their partner or spouse and say, today was a fantastic day. I spent 12 hours in meetings, never had a chance to check my phone. Can't wait till tomorrow when I do the exact same thing. So meetings is one of those things people love to hate. And we're supposed to be contrarian here. Like I, I think it's misguided. I think there are good things about meetings and there are bad things about meetings. And just saying meetings are bad is the wrong approach. But I know you, know, you spent time at Shopify and Shopify specifically has that attitude of meetings are bad and they just go ahead and cancel meetings to reset the clock. What do you think? I, I want to challenge that all meetings are bad. I do think that you can make a meeting exciting and energizing, but 99% of meetings are not. And 99% of meetings are actually really bad. So Shopify, Toby Lutke, the founder and CEO, actually said it best when he said, meetings are a bug. Again, I, I, I have a slightly deviated opinion about that, but for the most part, I agree. And he said that, hey, technically, you shouldn't have to connect about something, at least in person. Technically, you should be able to solve it all in writing. 
an async communication. The reason we have meetings is because we're inefficient. To a degree, I, I agree with him. So during my time at Shopify, there were two occasions when the company deployed the so-called Chaos Monkey. The Chaos Monkey is a script that the leadership can deploy at any point in time that deletes all meetings on everybody's calendar with more than two participants that are recurring. So if you have a one-time meeting with a large group, say 10 people, it's going to stay. But if you have a weekly meeting with your organization, right? My organization was like 80 to 100 people at some point in time. That goes away. You don't know when it's being deployed. There's no announcement of, oh, next week, we're going to deploy this thing. No, you're going to wake up to your computer and your calendar is going to be mainly empty. You're going to have a huge shock because you think your fire or something else happened. And then you're going to read on Slack, hey, we deployed the Chaos Monkey. Please be mindful of each other's time, blah, blah, blah. It's a crazy experience. And we're going to tell you, most people love the Chaos Monkey because now they have two weeks of time to get work done before all the meetings creep back up on the calendar, which is what actually happened, right? Most meetings came back. Again, most meetings are unproductive, can probably be done asynchronously. They don't have a purpose. They're poorly prepared. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into what makes bad meetings bad. But I do think that sometimes meetings are great. When you want to connect, for example, there are certain messages that should be brought across in person. I don't think they should be brought across in writing. And if you transfer meetings to Slack, that now means Slack is incredibly crowded. A lot of people will feel forced to constantly spend time on Slack, and you cannot tame that monster that is Slack. So I think it has to be looked at with a, you know, with a different lens. My contrarian opinion is that Every meeting should be canceled unless it meets certain conditions. Let's dive into this a little deeper. So first of all, I think that there are two kinds of meetings. There are meetings which are exchanges of information, and there are meetings which are decision-making meetings, where at the beginning of a meeting, you have a decision to be made, and you need the opinions of a variety of people. And at the end of the meeting, a decision needs to be made. The problem is that no one really puts the time into declaring that at the outset. It's just a meeting on a calendar. Very rarely do they put enough information in the agenda that you even know why you're showing up that meeting. I feel like the same way companies have all sorts of trainings that are mandatory, not even going into the harassment trainings, which are mandatory and required by law and are a good thing and have changed work culture, but they have trainings on how to use the computer and how to onboard people. And they should have trainings on how a meeting should be conducted and when you should be inviting people to meetings. Not to say that anyone's going to listen, but at least that inf information should be conveyed in a meeting. No, just kidding. It should be conveyed in a, a video or some other sort of format. Because it should say, like, when you're setting a meeting at this company, have an agenda. It'd be great if you would say at the beginning, like, this meeting is, we're going to be deciding this thing. And that would better help you decide who should be in that meeting. I think there are a lot of problems with not knowing why their meeting should happen. Like, one thing that you know, happen with COVID. So prior to COVID, you had physical meetings and meetings were, you know, I don't know, I'm sure at Shopify, there were specific sizes to meetings or to, to conference rooms and all the other companies who worked at specific sizes of conference rooms. So you can't have 60 people show up at a four person conference room. It's not going to happen. So if you had a four person conference room, you can only have four people pull up another chair. You have five people. When COVID came, you're like, well, what the hell? I'll invite the whole company because everyone just log in on Zoom and then no one pays any attention. So you have 60 people in a four-person meeting. No one knows. No one cares. No one's really doing anything. They're just not listening. So there's a lot of that. But really, you should be thinking through like, who should be in this meeting and how should this meeting be conducted? I found that, you know, but me by being a full-time consultant and you also, 
I now have more power than I ever had as an employee. As an employee, when someone senior to me or horizontal to me invited me to a meeting, I didn't have that ability to say, I actually feel like I should be watching TikTok now or whatever. I don't want to come to your meeting. I had to go to that meeting and then I would unfortunately have to watch TikTok during the meeting. Now, as a consultant, when people are like, well, can you show up at this meeting? I can be very deliberate and say, hey, what is it that we're talking about? And then in the process, we typically can make a decision on email or using some other tools, which we'll dig into. Or I could say, when someone says, I want to pick your brain, my brain isn't available for picking at the moment. Maybe you can share the question and I can I can share the answer. And I've suddenly taken you know that time where I would have had to sit in a meeting and maybe at the end of the meeting got into what we're supposed to be talking about, just make that decision quickly, asynchronously, you know, maybe middle of the night when I'm just available on my phone. But I, I think that's the thing. At companies, you don't necessarily have that power to say, hey, I don't want to show up at your 30-minute meeting for a five-minute discussion. When you have a 30-minute meeting, you show up for a 30-minute meeting. But there, there's a lot there. So what are some things that you've learned now that you're consultants own your own time? Like, What are some tools you use? Um, I'm all with you. I think you made a great point about information sharing meetings and decision-making meetings. There could be a third one, which is social, like basically building relationships and spending time. And one of the best practices is that all information sharing meetings are canceled and they're being replaced either by a very thoughtful, concise and comprehensive email or Slack message or Loom video. When I was at Shopify, there were many occasions where we gave a monthly update to the whole team. It was either me or me and my pod leads recording a Loom video in which we just went through a slide deck, 15 minutes, everybody could watch it async. And that was that. So information sharing meetings should not be on the calendar. Decision-making meetings are, and social meetings are very critical. The thing that I learned about decision-making meetings is that they're, they mostly take 10 minutes. That's my challenge. I think they actually just take 10 minutes. The reason they often take 30 minutes, 60 minutes, or sometimes a whole series of 30-minute meetings is that they're poorly prepared. So they should, you should be able, so first of all, you send out a pre-read to decision-making meetings so that you never want to be in a situation where you blindside leadership and you come to them and you ask them to make a decision in the moment. They're going to ask a lot of questions. There's going to be a lot of thrashing, streamrolling. It's going to feel very bad for everybody. So you want to prepare it, send out a pre-read in advance that clearly brings the decision to be made to the point. Like clearly, it's another problem with decisions. Most of them are just not clearly phrased and people don't know what decision they're making. So make sure it's very clear what the decision is to be made and then how to make the decision. Who makes the decision? Who's the single person? And it can only be a single person who makes the decision. And what are the criteria for making the decision? That includes context. You know, why, like, what are the pros and cons? Why do we have to make the decision? And what is the impact of the decision? And then coming together in a meeting should just take a couple of minutes where the decision maker says, that's a decision and that's why I make it. And here are my expectations moving forward. Done. That removes 90% of meetings from a calendar in my mind. You should not be spending meetings all day. In my mind, it's just a substitute for unclarity, missing clarity, poor communication, and some managers just wanting to manage by being in person. Do you agree with that, Eli? No, totally. And and you we also have to mention Bubbles. You know, you mentioned Loom, but Bubbles is the sponsor for this episode. Bubbles is is like Loom on steroids. So you can make specific bubbles and check it out on the link will be in the show notes. But you can make specific bubbles for parts of a screenshot, parts of bubbles for parts of a deck rather than just a Loom video while you're narrating something. So totally use Bubbles is is a more interactive tool than Loom, but completely agree. I think pre-reads before meetings is essential. I think 
you know, I've seen with, you know, consulting, I've seen like the best and the worst. I've had clients where they write out really detailed agendas and we work through the agenda and like any information, there's no like open-ended question when we show up at the meeting, like they're not going to be like, all right, so let's uh, look at this piece of data today. Like they've included links to that data. So we've all looked at it before. And then I've had clients where we show up at like the weekly meeting and I'm like, what are we talking about? And they're like, I don't know. What do you want to talk about? And then we talk about like, you know, the football game and the weather. And then I'm like, Hey, uh, how come you guys are like losing revenue? And like, Oh yeah, we are like totally useless. It doesn't accomplish anything. And you know, obviously they're not going to really progress on their goals like that, but it, there's so many different cultures. I think it needs to be top down. So rather than I, I don't think I'd agree with what Shopify does is chaos monkey and just like, well, let's ruin it all for everyone. And then let's bring it back. You really need to teach people and train people and say, this is how we're going to do things. I think Amazon's famous for having these, you know, six page memos where you have to read and you have to articulate. But again, like I, I've never worked for Amazon clearly because I didn't get that job offer we talked about at the beginning. <laughs> but, but like, I think, you know, I can imagine that writing one of those six page memos is hellish. Like you spend so much time writing that memo and then you go to a meeting. So you're essentially putting way too much effort in preparing for a decision to be made that maybe decisions aren't made in any sort of timely manner. So there just needs to be some sort of balance. And I think it's a top-down balance. And it's it's something that every you know company gets you know, gets into. Like there's companies I've worked with as a consultant. They're startups. They do a really good job of making fast decisions. But then they grow. And then you bring in higher people from other companies who like meetings and stand-ups. And you know, it, it gets crazy. Like there's startups I've worked with that have meetings on weekends. There's big companies I've worked with that have meetings on weekends. And that's terrible. You know, in addition to the tools, you shared, I think, you know, text is another tool using SMS or WhatsApp or Messenger. Terrible tool, but it is a decision that people use for making quick decisions. Again, depends on the culture, depends like how you're making those decisions, but those decisions aren't logged. There was a company I was working with where their traffic had been dying for like six months or SEO traffic had been dying for like six months. And I wanted to figure it out. So I went through all their data. I went through all their logs. I went through all their you know, information. I'm like, what happened? November 16th of last year, I found it, something happened. And they're like, I don't know, we can't find it, but we'll check the WhatsApp group chat. Like, are you serious? You have a WhatsApp group chat with your engineers? Like, this is your log. Like, no one took that and put it somewhere else. They didn't find it, no, because they didn't find the right query and no, there was too many messages. And I think Slack is also terrible. Like, I remember when they first started using Slack at SurveyMonkey, we went from like having lots of meetings to spending six hours a day on Slack. Like that's, again, you didn't really change anything. And meetings are at least better. You can capture it with notes. You can take pictures. You can do things. Moving to Slack, now you really can't find anything. So as I think, companies need to be top down and really create that culture deliberately. This is the way meetings will be. You need to like, you maybe have a questionnaire on how do you set the agenda? What you put the topic in? Who needs to be there? Maybe even justify why specific people need to be there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like meetings full of people are terrible. Even if it's virtual and people just tune in, that means they're tuning in to just be flying the wall. And I don't think it's helpful for anybody for people to be flying the wall. They should, to be completely honest, they're probably wasting time being in that meeting. So they can't really focus on their work. They can't really contribute to the meeting. So they probably don't have a role and they shouldn't be in it. Recording meetings and sharing it for people to watch and gather context, different story. But I would argue that ideally there should be an appointed note taker in the meeting 
And that note taker should send out the notes to everybody who needs to have them and bring it down to a concise volume. So there shouldn't be any fluff or noise in, the, in those notes. It should be brought down to the most essential and pieces of information. Everything we're talking about can be brought back to poor communication and poor planning. Most meetings and all the chaos on Slack, it's a substitute for unclarity and where to take things and poor organization, right? It's not planned. It's kind of in the hog. Things come up in the moment and there's no real framework. So I agree with you. It has to be top down. But I also think that there's no company that has perfectly figured this out yet. But you were mentioning bubbles earlier on. We should talk a little bit about some tools because I think there are some tools that they're worth uh, for people to try out. So we have bubbles. What else should be on the list? So Loom, Slack, Bubbles, you should talk about Fellow. Fellow is uh, do some Fellow something that you used? It's a really interesting tool. Basically, it's a note management tool for meetings. It allows you to, I mean, you can also use Google Docs if you wanted to, but Fellow gives you all sorts of statistics and easier ways to prepare notes. It will show you who you interact with the most. It will show you the history of notes. So it's much, much easier than maintaining a huge swath of Google Doc files or other stuff, or even emails. It's a great tool to prepare meetings, follow up on meetings. You can assign tasks and action items, and then you can integrate it with your email as well. So I had a great experience with Fellow. Good. Yeah, I, the founders of Fellow are my former coworkers from SurveyMonkey, and I love them. And I, I think, I, I guess they Shopify used them because they're based in Ottawa. Check out Fellow. They're good people and a good tool. The, the last one we should probably call out is any sort of whiteboarding tool like Miro and Google Meet has whiteboarding built in. I think Zoom even has whiteboarding, but really to allow you to like visualize something so you're not just talking out or you're not forced to make slides. And I think we talked about pre-reads before meetings and what Amazon does and making these six page papers. Slides are another thing. Like slides is a tool, but I think people use slides wrong. Like they spend all this time like conveying information when if it's an information conveying meeting, maybe don't use slides, maybe write it out, maybe share the slides before you don't need to present slides. So let's talk about some non-obvious tools for meetings and then let's let's wrap up with our favorite tips to have a better meeting. So what's some non-obvious tool that's a good effective meeting tool? One I really like is Coda, C-O-D-A. And it, I like it a lot because it provides good templates for meetings. It provides the right level of interaction. So for example, you can vote with Coda. And you can imagine Coda like a mix of Google Sheets and Google Docs or Word and Excel, whatever you prefer. It has much more interactive features. So people can vote, you can run polls and all sorts of stuff that's missing in Google Docs, which makes the meeting much more engaging because now people are part of it. They do something all together. They look at the same document and you can easily you know, create templates, carry notes over, all that kind of stuff. So Coda, Great meeting tool. It's developed by, oh, the name's escaping right now, but he led growth at YouTube and he developed a very distinct specific meeting culture derived from product management. So the whole methodology is based on healthy, clean meeting culture. Uh, Eli, what do you suggest? So I have some really non-obvious tools. So my my favorite meeting tool is I hate taking notes, mostly because I my handwriting is very poor. So I can't read my notes or so I'll take notes on a computer, but like, you know, in physical meetings, it becomes sort of disrespectful to, to take notes on a computer because everyone thinks you're doing other stuff and not, not to say that I'm not, but it's better to pay attention there. So my favorite non-obvious tool is really your phone camera, like to take pictures of things on slides because yeah, I can remember it later. I'll give one more phone one here, which is if you're stuck in a meeting, you can just make your phone ring and it's, it sounds embarrassing. 
you know, to have your phone ring in a meeting, but you can just be like, I'm so sorry, I got this is an emergency and it can get you out of that meeting. Can't use it too often, but I must admit I have used it. Uh, Kevin, wrap, wrap up with one more tool for us. One more tool. And by the way, the name of the founder of Coda is Shishia Mirotra. Another tool that I love is Otter AI. Otter, you can use it on your phone, on your computer, and it will record the call, transcribe everything that was said, and then you can copy-paste that transcript to ChatGPT and ask it to summarize the notes. So it's almost like a, an automated note-taker with just one or two steps in between, and it works brilliantly well. You can also share specific clips of the recording with other people who you might not want to have watched the whole video or the whole meeting recording, but maybe just you know 15 seconds or 30 seconds or a minute or something like that to gain context. So Auto AI is my suggestion. That's really cool. All right, what are some what are your tips for having a better meeting? Having a better meeting. So again, have a clear goal and purpose. What is this meeting trying to accomplish? And ideally, there is a definition of done or def definition of success. Like we have a decision about X. Prepare in advance and send a pre-read at least 24 hours, ideally 48 hours if you can. It's not always possible, uh, including agenda and all that kind of stuff. You want to be the example, right? You mentioned that, Eli, but it has to come top down. Be the example. Be on time. Have good meeting etiquette. Don't interrupt. Take notes, all that kind of stuff. And then follow up, right? If you have things and meeting notes to do as action items for other people or for yourself, follow up. Make sure you follow through and you hold people accountable. What do you think? I mean, your tips are awesome. The only one I would add is not go with the default that meetings are good or meetings are bad. There are useful meetings. Decide first and foremost, what is the purpose of your meeting? And then you can say, should I be having this meeting? Am I conveying information that could be conveyed in an email? And, you know, there's a shortcoming to an email, which is if you send out an email, people might not read it, but you can force people to read. And you can say, if you don't read this email, this is the decision I'm making. I guess it depends on your power hierarchy, but discipline people that show up at that meeting and have not read the email and have not read the pre-read and don't have the information because you should not be wasting other people's time with having to convey that information. But to me, my, my best tip for having a meeting is really deciding what the purpose of the meeting is, who needs to be in that meeting and how the meeting should be run. So when I run meetings, I always share out an agenda after meetings, I share out a recap. And if you see a trend of like, hey, we had nothing to talk about, you know, nothing to talk about before the meeting, nothing to talk about after we went to the meeting, maybe have that discussion of whether you should even be having the meeting. So love to hear tips from anyone else out there on meetings or not meetings and anybody that actually really loves meetings. We'd love to hear from you. But, you know, with that, I, I think that's a wrap. This has been great. Love it as well. Eli, it's been a pleasure. We'll talk next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Kevin. And now it's your turn. Head over to contrarianmarketingpodcast.com and subscribe to the free weekly newsletter to get a summary of today's episode, key takeaways, and community content. And while you're there, go to today's episode and leave your opinion in the comments. We'll feature the best thoughts in the newsletter and on the podcast. Also, if you like today's episode, please feel free to leave five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks so much for tuning in and here next week.